Outspoken Outtakes, Volume 8. This is a collection of previously unaired material from prior episodes. Uh, Often when I record an interview, there will be some extra content. Sometimes a lot, sometimes a little. And um, I don't see it as leftovers or scraps or anything. I see it as special treats that I can set aside for later. And that way, you can check out a few different people at once and see if you like them. And if you do, you can go explore their individual full episodes. Um, So these are five of my friends who all live in New York. Uh, Two of them are a couple, the bookends. One of them is the first friend I ever made on my own. Uh, One of them is a photographer that I met through my brother who wrote a book with his girlfriend about his life and struggles. One of them is another friend of my brother who has a coffee shop in Gowanus called Canary in the Coal Mine and it's excellent and awesome and so is she. And that's that. So let's hear just a little bit from each of these folks. And we'll see on the other side. But, oh, I know what it is. Sometimes I show up too early, like four or five years early. Okay. Like, hey, this is great. And then I'm yeah. like, wait, I thought there would be parties. I thought you're, there would be doormen. You're a trendsetter. Like, no, I'm not at all. You're not? Daniel's like, you've got to wait till the restaurant uh, has <laughs> a certificate of occupation. You know, because okay. I would read about it on the internet and be like, I know there's you're a just too eager, huh? Tunisian, uh, you know, ice pop place really? here somewhere. And they're yeah, like, we're not even open. Research, huh? Well, because the press release would come out. I'm like, we're walking over there right uh, now. Yeah. And then, so now I don't do that anymore. But um, I used to kind of do that um, a lot. I show up too early. Um What's the other moral of my story? Wait, doormen have taught me a lot. Uh, you're not a model. I'm those, not a model. Those are the, those are the two things. Newsflash. Yeah. It's not a visual, but <laughs> I'm kind of frail and people don't <clears throat> think that I can do stuff, but I end up doing well, it. Well, and the other one was that technology is, is, I think it's great. is good for a lot of things. You have to be careful I, with it. I like everything. But I, and I, after hearing, a, you know. Have uh, it cheered you up? <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I know. no one ever. It never cheers me up, but, uh, but I, um. No, I think that, um, well, I, I always have to be, be clear that I do value it for its, for the uses that I value, you know, basically yes. like it's good for a lot of things. And I think we can all admit that without. Yes. It's just, you have much. to be careful. Yeah. You know, it's like, don't eat just too don't, much. Don't abuse it. I don't know. B12. Don't, don't have too much B12. <laughs> yeah. Or double stuff Oreos. Yes. I had too much B12 and the doctor had to call and they're like, what's with the B12? Oh, really? And I was like, oh, you, yeah, you, well, I was taking it. You're doing a supplement. They were like, people, you're, like, you're not, you're taking way too much. I was like, oh, like sorry, I didn't know that. You're like iron. I was like, didn't, yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm so strong. <laughs> yeah. Not at were all. You, were you breaking through things I and stuff? No, Yeah, no. They just were like, these blood tests are horrible. And then I had to pay the, ch- the bill. All uh, right. <laughs> I had to get course. the lab bill. But how'd you feel with all that B12 in your system? I felt fine. Did you feel good? Yeah, energized? Like, you're like a f- million molecule. You know, I was like, oh, sorry. Yeah. I have this really cool spray I bought from uh, That's where I get in trouble, where it's like, I bought it off the shelf. I thought it would make things magically right. better. Now so I have to use it. I'm like, oops, Because I have it. They actually called me. So you know it's bad when they actually call you on the phone and go, right. like, what's with the B12 yeah, overdose? you got to stop today. So I, sp- I do it once a week now. Don't worry, I do it okay, once Okay, good. Uh, yes, things, uh, don't spend the money. 
Don't spend before the check you have it. before you've done the job. Right. Even though it's so tempting. Yeah. And you want to maybe order a steak burrito for once. Maybe you have to. Shrimp you burrito? Yeah, just that one time. <laughs> yes. The Concorde <laughs> hasn't the invented the, the cool Concorde 2.0 right. yet, but we thought that was going to happen. Right. Uh, what else? Are we doing a summary of the Yeah, I'm trying the... to think of like, this is your life. Oh, painting is well, great. Well, you're going to talk more about your work. Oh, yes. Uh, maybe that I uh, will continue to make work as long as I can, and I will continue to show, and I will update you. And you... But it's a long journey, so a lot of people have to be more like, hey... You got to stick around and follow the journey. Yeah, sometimes artists have a better career after they've passed on. That's so true. it's kind of the one Often. career where you're like, "Hey, there could be stuff going on that I'm going to be not yeah. here for." So that's the well, weird def- thing about there art. Well, definitely will. So the art will stick around. You're like, hey. and same with music. And, and I did do a subway installation, like oh, one really? of those MTA things, like a bunch of years ago. But I'm like, "Hey, that's going to be here for like whatever." Yeah, you know, like a hundred years or something. So there you go. That'll be it. So that's awesome. I Which just, one? Where is it? Oh, it's uh, on the Seven Line. It's uh-huh. two stops from Grand Central, and it's called Hunter's Point Avenue. Nice. It's you did PS1. a mural? Or you did it? Well, the you did uh, this Zen Master guy actually executed it and stuff, oh, okay. but I like made the plan and presented it nice. and got the commission, and it was amazing. But it's a funny, it's like art, but it's in everyday life. Yeah. And tons of viewers. Yeah. It's on the wall. I don't have to pay for it to be on the wall. Like It's right. this weird Sponsored. answer to all these things, but I haven't Is done your it name on it? It is on a plaque right next really to it. Cool. I didn't do it in like second century Roman. Uh-huh. I've lived in Rome, so uh-huh. I like made that reference. And so far, you know, it looks grimy, but that's the way it's supposed to look. And but do people have people contacted you for having seen that? They like have. A, like people walk up to me like, I just went by your. That's your so cool. Thing. I always forget about it, so I'm like, oh, yeah. right, that's there. Because I'm just thinking about like you know, 100 years from now, I'm like, well, oh wait, that will actually be there. Yeah. I actually have an excuse. So that's really yeah, cool. I just don't know, but yeah, and like a lot of people are making really incredible work right now, and that is what I'm really psyched about because. Yeah. I didn't know, you know, I, I think I always thought, I don't know what I thought, but I just, there's a large variety of human beings making a large variety of amazing work. And yeah. You get to see it now and you get to like actually find it and you don't have to like happen upon it at yeah, some obscure museum at a, you know, your sister's baby shower. <laughs> right. Or whatever people do. Or like, just so. only know about what's in your yeah. neck of the woods. So who knows what that will lead into. That's like, cool. Well, it's, it seems world. to be, it's, exp- yeah, it's connected a lot of artists yeah, in yeah. a lot of different places. And I think it makes a wider audience, and I think that will d- kind of demystify art. Uh huh. And make it more like accessible to all right. people. Because you know, you always got you the were free day. <laughs> I it. always did the free day. I was like, I don't know what some of this work is about, like in seventh and eighth and ninth grade. Yeah. I went there for air conditioning. I'm the first person to admit that. Like, I went to museums because there were air conditionings and the malls weren't built yet. Like, uh-huh. the, like all the shopping malls. But you also liked yeah. art. Like you had sort of, but really, I was like, "This is cool." What really? is this? Yeah, like you weren't drawn by the art. You're well, because I was AC? like, "Why isn't it realistic?" I oh, okay. Understand. And then I'd see like a <laughs> Philip Perlstein, and then I was like, "Well, why is that in the museum?" And then also this uh, Chris Burden piece. And I remember. Being I like, don't know what either of those people. Carl Andre. I was like, "What is with these bricks on this?" You know, I'm like, but I was kind of just going because I wasn't good at soccer. I wasn't good at sports. <laughs> I was like, okay. "Here's a building I can kick around in." Yeah. So. I would go there, but it was free. But, but wait, did you have an interest in art before then, or is that where oh, yeah, it was they, born? I went to um, the museums because they were free. Like, but I mean, were you were you already a painter at that? Oh, point? Yeah, well, or I was a draw. Well, because I was like, like, I was really interested in art, and I yeah. had no other interests. So they okay, were like, oh, so you, God, so it is, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it was your compulsion birth. to make art that yeah. that brought you there. And then just luckily, I ended up living near a place that they could like drive into town and drop me off. Yeah, and that was amazing. They even knew like to <laughs> send a female to a class that might 
but they probably just wanted some free time away from me. I'm thinking, what a beautiful journey that they dropped me off. And they're like, God, we got to park Trisha. talk about the gender stuff in, yeah, yeah. in Netherlands. Please, um, please. So, yeah, basically what I've... So, oh, this was really interesting that happened. So, totally fine. Felt super safe. Um, everyone addressed me as my gender. Um, everyone referred to me as she, her. Without being, without you saying anything? Without me even prompting them. Wow. Um, that's something right there. Yeah, like, which I feel like in the United States, people, they'll just kind of leave it ambiguous until mm, someone else says something, right? Or unless you say something. Yep. And now, in hindsight, I feel like that's because we actually have a wider understanding of gender, and it's not so binary. Right. So I you feel like actually most, are considering it, like oh, it could be one of many. Yeah. Instead of instead of just black he away, or she. Or yeah. And um, so I feel like in that sense, like the United States is a little more I think like they're, educated. Yeah, I think they're a lot more progressive in mm -hmm. that particular way. Mm -hmm. But also, what, what do you, I'm curious to know what you think about the, what, like my, my fear with labeling, like when you mm -hmm. label, you know, there's this gender, then there's this one, then there's mm -hmm. this, ver there's a slightly different identity and another one and another one and, and suddenly we're all we're different again we're all mm -hmm. like we've all been had these lines drawn between us yeah. so what do you think about that like how do you to me that's a that's a problem because i, yeah. I want to honor everybody's personal choice mm -hmm. but i also don't there's no way of knowing until you meet the person yeah how they identify mm -hmm. and then i don't i don't it hasn't gotten to a point what yet where it's comfortable to ask Mm -hmm. outright i don't think i mean for for some people i don't know what's your preference like would you rather have somebody say how do you identify or would you rather have it never come up or do you um i definitely think people should ask what is your preferred pronouns mm -hmm. um because then that can give you the language to talk to them about their gender because i don't think gender is something you can just go up to someone and ask them to spill out right um, well, that's the other reason I think people are shy about asking. Mm -hmm. They don't like it's not an easy answer, a question to answer. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can be for some people, but it shouldn't be assumed that like everyone's going to want to talk about their gender. Right. Um, because some people might not have a gender and then that could be traumatic. Right. Bringing up, you know. But how do you even bring gender. up the pronoun thing then? Because so that's, the pronoun thing is what are your preferred pronouns? But how would you how would you ask that of someone without? Because you're making an assumption by by asking that, right? I don't that, think it that makes they're an... not one of the two accepted, you know, he she. Like you're you're assuming when you ask someone, mm -hmm. what is your pro what what's your preferred pronoun? Well, we're already assuming that they're that it's either he we or do she. We that already with I know everybody. But, but that's what I mean. Like how is it like yeah. it's such a for as a society? How mm -hmm. do, how do you break out of that habit of okay. assuming? 
without it being, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It seems like a very tricky Mm -hmm. thing to say. Uh, You know, it's sort of like a, a woman who, you know, is, has enough weight that she could possibly be pregnant, but she's mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. You don't just walk up to her and say, oh, are you pregnant? Or, oh, congratulations. You know, you, mm-hmm. you want it. There's like a, you're not sure. Like the person, mm-hmm. the stranger approaching the situation is not sure. So mm-hmm. how, how, I don't know. It seems like a weird, you have to take a bit of a risk, like to ask somebody what they, who they are, what they're like, what they're about, you know? Yeah, but you're taking a risk with anyone when you ask them what they're all about, what their life is. Right. Even if you're not even considering gender stuff, because someone could be like, mind your own business, like that. Yeah. You know, like, so it's not just limited to gender, but I feel like it, this comes back to another, like, little subcategory of gender, is like, I feel like culturally, that is so important to us to establish what someone's gender is, like, as soon as we start talking to them right when it doesn't need to be but i feel like the reason it needs to be is because our language is so binary right english language is so binary that like how do you talk without using pronouns and it's because it's just how our language is created so it's like if our language wasn't so binary we wouldn't need to pronoun everything and then (laughs) we wouldn't even need to like consider that person's gender we just talk to them like a person You know, as we discussed earlier, you yeah. know, I mean, I was a heroin and crack addict for like a decade. Yeah. You know, and it was Hardcore. devastating and yeah, debilitating yeah. to me. And I ended up incarcerating, luckily clean now for nine years. But, you know, I met a lot of people in that world that were just like very manipulative and very drug dealers. Yeah. And some of them I became friends with. Right. Which is kind of weird, you yeah. know. And, and some of them I still know and I'm friends with. Some of those addicts I'm still friends with. Some of them are clean now, you know, yeah. all that whole sort of thing. But I can understand, you know, especially in those communities, some of those communities, you know, that I was in, it was like young black men who were selling drugs. They're not kingpins or anything. They're no. selling a few drugs to make, to, get to make some money because yep. they can't get jobs because they've got criminal records because they stop and frisk because they had weed in their pocket or they yep. did this or they did that. And because Nothing the whole totally, system... None of them were seriously big criminals at that point. But they're criminalized yeah. by a small offense. They get a, they can't get a job. Number one, you know, they've got a criminal record. Number two, it's like, you well, know, and they're you, black, you've got, so they're, they're black, they're so you've got less chance. To begin yeah. With, yeah. And so they might have a kid or they might have a mother they're trying to support and they can't get a house in and it's like, well, what can I do? You know what? I can sell some crack or I can yeah. sell this or I can sell some weed. And they go and do that. And it works for a wee while, and then they get stopped again, and it, yep. and, it, and it goes around, and there's circular recidivism and rearrest and, and everything like that, and they accumulate, and eventually you're unemployable because your criminal record doesn't, and there's not enough 
community groups out there trying to help that sort yeah. of thing and it's like but it's so unjust and it's again it goes back to that thing you like we need to pour money into these communities and the right. education and teaching and you know outreach there to offer people things if you don't offer people things of course they're going to gravitate to things like that the, they're going to go to what I they would know as well so would anybody yeah yeah it's you know, the thing that has worked for all even though it doesn't work that well it works Periodic. It works for a yeah, short time. Yeah, it works time. for a wee bit. You know, it works and enough to want it all the time. Yeah. Because, fuck, it hurts all the rest of the time. So Yeah, the bigger right. picture is you end up losing the money or getting incarcerated You're or gonna getting lose shot or something like <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. which is tragic. Yeah. But in the short term, when you need money to feed your family or your kids or just get out of the shit that you're in because yeah. who can live on welfare in this country you know no, what I mean? or work at mcdonald's Please. or whatever yeah. you're supposed I mean, to survive people are supposed to yeah on a fan with a family yeah no thanks on it's not gonna happen wage jobs working yeah. all the time it's like or which are alternately so, i can have you know i sell this weed and make this amount exactly money. well and the other thing that nobody even talks about when they mention that the like people who are arguing that there are jobs available for those people which first of all is not true and i by those people, I'm not. Tr- I'm saying like anybody who right. is, is like unemployed. Or, yeah, yeah, I'm not trying to make a racial statement no. by any means, but anyone no, who poverty is endemic in white communities in rural America as right. anywhere. Right, and so, but the thing that's never even discussed is like those jobs that they're claiming are available and okay. Not only are they all minimum wage and and just not enough to get by on, but they're all soul killing jobs. Like none yeah. of those are things that are going to enrich and a person's and life. Some of those zero contract make, jobs, you know, yeah. like you don't but there, get But there's no, there's no anything. dignity in that. Like they're not, these aren't jobs that are going to yeah. make a person feel like they're it's easy like to vital in the world. 4,000 know? shit jobs. Right. Yeah. You, know? you can do it in it's in one instant. Yeah. You know? Like here, like, go make these pieces of shit. What's a good shit? sustainable job that somebody goes to and feels self-worth and gets there you benefits go. That's and so can provide for their family. That's a job. And I think that's the sort of under like the foundation that we need to start focusing on to get people if you don't feel like you have any self-worth then nothing is gonna like no system is gonna work for you anything that I said better I just can't remember what I said um so I'm 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 still open to all of these themes about self-loathing or confusion or like just the okay terror of uh interpersonal existence yeah. you know how do you do how do you deal with your own like your own contradictions the things you perceive to be of yourself and behaviors that you possess not something that somebody else like you know makes you you forces you to or whatever it's just like your own oh i wish i didn't do this i do this but i wish i wasn't like that oh remorse 
you mean re- just regret in general or, or like not regret, or just but sort just of con- like discomfort with the way I behaved or um or how it impacted other people or uh I was thinking more in terms of well the reason I was asking is because mm-hmm. I, I was going to see if you wanted to be take a step into hypocrite's corner and and talk about Uh-oh. personal contradictions and that so that's more of like Ooh. an ongoing yeah state of of process where, right, you, where right, you're right. like ah i'm aware of this thing that bums me out but mm-hmm. i somehow can't seem to stop doing it or maybe you just it was just revealed and you are working on it or or i don't know but also we don't have to do that we can talk yeah. about regret and remorse too that's a whole different yeah i'm trying to i mean i it's a good question i i i wish i had thought about it ahead of time or um yeah it's sort of a hard thing to spring on somebody because it's but it's i mean it's I know the the answer is yes. <laughs> yes, I have those things. <laughs> right, yeah, like yeah. the and I think whether it's like active or not that is just like, you know, cuz you I don't know. I feel like you when you're dealing like you someone else like yourself like you know, you, <laughs> as someone who is like always ostensibly like trying to be healthier and self-aware you know whether or not that's feels miles off or whatever you know like that that's like a like a life ambition mm-hmm. thinking that by you know by the very end i might finally be good at <laughs> right being a person and then i die your but, last breath right is your only good your only true yeah. self <laughs> right which is a little maybe that maybe that sounds a little rough but but um i know what you mean but it's like, a it's a lifelong process, right, and, right. You, and you might not get as close as you hope to. I said at my at my job because I I do I do have a job a day job where I do graphic design. Uh huh. Uh, for um, Bloomingdale's for a big clothing store. Okay. So I said, I think somebody did like a group when the thing hit crazy, you know, like it was the the office pool. Right. Okay. So I said, yeah, I'll put a buck in, whatever. We'll all split it. But um, I said, if we win or if I win, you'll never see me again. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. I'm not coming in. Even on I, I Monday. That was my first thought of they're like, oh, well, I would give my two weeks notice. And I said, trust me you would never see me again unless we were friends outside of work because i think like you know with my luck at the end of the two weeks i'll get hit by a bus or something right like, and, i mean like i'm not wasting a day of that coming into the job you know they'll they'll be just fine without me yeah i think you're right you know and uh yeah it's weird you know when somebody passes away suddenly in your life you start thinking about it could be that last day, you know, mm-hmm. this might be the last week. You don't know. Do you feel like you carry that with you? That that's sort oh, of, yeah. Yeah. I'm living every day. I'm, I'm trying to live every day. Like it could be, you know, the last, which is almost impossible to do, but just with the thought in mind of like, don't think about what's my life going to be when I get to that goal, you yeah. know, yeah. when I save up enough money or when I get a better job or, I'll have fun and do these things when I get a girlfriend or if I go out and, you know what I mean? It's like people are thinking like, well, when I get there, then I'll be happy. Yep. And it's kind of like, you know, 
I, I don't think that's a good way to live. I think it's a losing game. I think you're just always chasing a fantasy. You know, you're never, yeah. and, you're, and you're never actually in that present moment. So how could you enjoy it if you're, you know, because you're just living in anticipation of something you don't have or in like the, me never. the memory of something you used to have, or, you know, so where, yeah. where does the present go? And I, I think maybe a lot of times uh, that fantasy of a, of a rosier future keeps people maybe surviving for that day because their life might be miserable and they're thinking like, well, I can, I can stick it out until that point. That's a good point. You know I mean? But that point, my, so it's maybe like a survival mechanism too, where people either out of duty or a fear they're staying, you know, with what they're doing. And, right. you know, some days I remember I used to work uh, with another artist years ago. We had our collaboration mm -hmm. as a team and like at the end of it, I was so unhappy working with the other person that when I finally, you know, it was very hard to sever that thing financially and also just out of like a sense of duty to the, the right. project or right. whatever. Like, I'm like, I'm so unhappy in this situation. I'm, I gotta, I gotta go. Yeah. And it was such a freeing thing. Once I came to that realization, you know. For that sure. I, it was like the best thing I, I did. I, I think, I mean, listening to your, one, once you can tune into that station where there's like your intuition is, is coming through clear and there's no static, I think you can trust it a hundred percent of the time. I think, I think once you get to that point where it's like, Oh, wait, I, this doesn't feel right. You should just immediately go with that. It's just, yeah, I think that was I mean, I've done things where I'm like, okay, I'm so worried about making a bad painting. I'm gonna try to make bad painting on that, purpose. That's cool. Did it work? You know, Did, well, yeah. uh, no, like there were things that came out that I'm like, that's actually good. Like you do the thing that you think is the worst possible thing you could do. Yeah. To your judgment, or whatever, and yeah. then like all of a sudden you're circling around like, that's not that bad, or that's new and that's interesting. You know. That's cool. And that that like judgment thing that's in your mind, like nothing new comes out of staying with what this is what we've always done, or you know. Right. Especially in art, I mean, like you know, you're going to make something new. It's going to be the the best art at the beginning when it comes out in almost any generation or any time period uh -huh. is upsetting to people, even yeah. like people who made it. Right. Cause it's too you know? different. Right. It's too new. It's scary. And it should look ugly. Right. Thing that later, you know, when uh, Picasso was making his stuff, you know, early 1900s, People just thought this is the ugliest thing I've ever seen. You know, they just thought there's even people still that are like Jackson Pollock, you know, that anybody could do that. That's yeah. ugly. And now it looks like Rembrandt. Right. You know, now it, Warhol looks like Rembrandt. It's, to, uh, it's so interesting. How much of that do you think is just the collective consciousness just sort of accepting something, you know, because we sort of shape our reality as it as it's unraveling in front of us, right? Like we make our decisions about what we think about something and then that is suddenly how it is, right? Like it's, yeah, and if, I mean, a lot, a lot of what you think is good is informed of what you've learned is good. Right, so if the, like if, with Warhol, for example, is it because of his commercial success that more and more people started to say, okay, it is, we do accept this as art and therefore it is good and now it's been long enough that we can, or I don't know. I mean, maybe it's yeah, not. I mean, I think there's, 
it's not an all at once thing. I think there's early adopters. So like the early, early people who were around him, you know, when say when pop art came out, whatever, uh-huh. you know, so many people were invested in maybe abstract expressionism and turgid emotionalism, which okay. at its moment, it was the new, the new scary thing. Right. But then pop art comes out and it's all like kind of cool and slick and there's no emote, you know, emotive brush stroke in there. Mm-hmm. And the newest people that fit their time or could see it, regardless of age, adopt it and, and see it and say, yeah, that's, that's a new, that thing represents our society as a new way to look at things. And then 90% of the people are behind are against it. Right. Okay. You know, and then as it goes on, it trickles down into their life, life or culture. And then, you know, another 30 or 40%, then they're on board. And then now it's worth millions of dollars and then the other 20% come on board and there's still people that hate it. You know what I mean? Right. There's 10% that hate it, but you know, a hundred years from now, it'll just be accepted as Rembrandt. You know, it's the same thing. It'll be the same thing for people from a hundred years from now. I'm trying to figure out what that is though. Cause why, like why that and not some other art? Like, is it just, I feel like it's because people have agreed that it's worthwhile that's what well, makes it worthwhile. I think the art world or even the music world, everybody's looking for like a mo- a movement or like a gestalt, you know, where there's like, oh, this jazz thing, it's popping up everywhere. Yeah, let's jump you on know? this bandwagon. Or, or maybe not jump on the bandwagon, but like, hey, I can relate to that. Oh, That's okay. new, I like it. And then it's popular. And maybe because it, whatever the movement is, it reflects a new way to look at things and enough people could relate to it that it becomes a thing, you know, it becomes a movement. But like I, one of my favorite painters, Alice Neal, mm-hmm. she was painting portraits of like her friends and people in New York in the seventies when minimalism was like, you know, if it wasn't like a black square on the wall mm-hmm. and a man made it, you know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't Nobody art. wanted to look at it. Like, yeah. Nobody wanted to look at her work, you know, it wasn't, timely you know and then the 80s it was all this you know julian schnabel and all these other people and she's making these great portraits and like you know she was she was famous in her time but i think now like you know it feels like we're in a moment when there's less of like a literal you've got to make it this way it seems like much more of an open possibility in making art right now in this point in history you mean people making using realism or they're doing expressionist work or they're making an installation or it seems like it's more about the idea or more about, uh, I don't know. It seems much more open than right now we're in a minimalist phase and everybody who's not making minimalism isn't taken seriously or we're not interested in. Right. It seems like there's much more of an open dialogue about different kinds of ways of making. That's good. Do you and think- I think it, Good. It's 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 great. I mean, imagine if you're a woman painter in 1930, and you know, like they just had that that great show that I, I haven't seen it yet, but um, at the Guggenheim of this woman. Oh right, I heard about uh, that. I haven't Clint, seen. It. Clint is her last name, and like, can you look at these huge abstract paintings? And I'm like, they're way out of their. Now they look super fresh and great, but like, I'm sure she wasn't having, you know. 
the big art career. I'm sure not. Well, I was going to say, think about being a like a woman, anything in 1930s in this country. Yeah. You know, like they're not getting. Yeah, I, look, I looked at my birth certificate. So uh -huh. I'm born in 65. I looked at the birth certificate, and on it, it says father's occupation. And then, and then it just says mother. You know, it doesn't even ask for the mother's occupation. She's a mother. That's that's yeah. her occupation. Yeah. But I mean, like, just the thought of like in my life you know yeah one life, generation ago like, they're just assuming that if you're your dad what does he do and then that's that's what he is that's what your family is you yeah. know He's a and i'm like in a lot of ways i think this is the best time to be alive i know there's a like I, i've heard a lot of your earlier stuff your podcast that i've been listening to yeah a lot of technology bashing and yeah <laughs> kind of and, and, and i'm i i totally get that mm -hmm. because I, I i'm bewildered with half of the new stuff you know but like I was thinking at, at one time, shoes were new. Right. You know what I mean? And like we just use shoes like we don't even think of it as a thing. But at one time, glasses were new. or You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but with those things, we had like thousands of years to get used to it. And with this, we had like a, a couple weeks. You know? Things are speeding up. Yeah, that's. I think the thing that's crazy here is that with each generation, you can see such a drastic change in the whole world, like how, yes. how people are in the world is changing. Thanks for listening, everybody. Those are my friends, Trisha, Michael, Graham, Jason, and Daniel. And uh, you can check out each of their full episodes by number and find their links to their work. Um, to, Trisha and Daniel are both brilliant artists. Graham's an amazing photographer. Jason is an author and a podcaster and other things. And Michael is a beautiful human being who runs a coffee shop and I'm sure does other creative things as well that I'm just not aware of yet. Uh, I love you guys. Be good to each other in these tough times. See you soon.